tent, Father of mercy and grace, Thou art welcome in this place, and Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place, Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place, Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, Thou art this evening. Let's sing that song, uh, Thank You for the Cross. We'll try it in this key. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid, bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came. And gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. And thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Washed me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and Embrace Worthy is the Lamb Oh, seated on the throne We crown you now With many crowns You reign victorious Son of God, the treasure of heaven crucified. Oh, worthy is the shame in love you came and gave amazing grace now thank you for this love Lord and thank you for the nail pierced hands washed me in your cleansing flow 
Now all I know Your forgiveness and embrace And worthy is the Lamb He's seated on the throne We crown you now with many crowns you reign victorious high and lifted up oh Jesus son of God the treasure of heaven crew now worthy is the Lamb Oh, worthy is the Lamb Now worthy is the Lamb Amen. Let's speed it up here just a little bit. Let's put it in G. Now let's sing that song as See the Bright Light. Oh, see the bright light shine. It's just about home time. Now I can see my father standing at the door. This world's been wilderness. I'm ready for deliverance. Lord, I've never been this home sick before. Oh, see the bright light shine. It's just about a whole time. And I can see my father standing at the door this world's been a wilderness i'm ready for deliverance and lord i've never been this all sick before one more time oh see the bright light shine it's just about a home time I can see my father standing at the door. And this world's been a wilderness. I'm ready for deliverance. And Lord, I've never been this homesick before. Amen. How great is our God, how great is His Word, He's the greatest one that ever was heard, and He rolled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea. He said, I will lead you, put your trust in me, 
Now how great is our God How great is His Word He's the greatest one That ever was heard And He rolled back the waters Of the mighty Red Sea He said, I will lead you, put your trust in me. Amen. We'll go ahead and change the order of the service now. And uh, let's sing that song, Reach Out and Touch the Lord. We'll sing this before we take our uh, prayer requests here. So reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. You'll find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. And He is passing by this moment your need to supply so reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by so reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by you'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry he is passing by this moment your needs to supply reach out and touch the Lord as he Amen. At this time, we'll just go ahead and take our needs before the Lord. You may have your seats as the musicians just play softly. If I could, just have Brother Jaron come up after these and just lead us in prayer. We just want to remember Brother Danny Florian this evening with his knee. We just want to remember Sister Karen, uh, Karen Morlier, who is homesick also have here to remember Brother Andy Irish's mom and dad. So if we could just remember them. Also, Sister Tracy Raven is at home as well, so we just want to remember her. And I also have here that uh, Brother Ethan and Sister Anna are not well. They're not with us this evening, so if we could just remember them. And also, I have here uh, Brother Jeff Jackson is currently working, so if we could just remember him while he's at work. And also, uh, I have here that Sister Mary Smith has an appointment tomorrow at uh, 2 p.m. So if we just want to uh, remember her, we know that she's been going through a lot of sickness, so if we could just continue to remember her. And uh, I know we all have unspoken prayer requests, so just by the lifting of your hands, God knows those needs, and we can always bring those to Him at any time. So if you would just stand with me, and if I could have Brother Jaron.
Amen. Let's bow our heads together as we take these needs to the Lord. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we just bow our heads to honor You, Lord, to give You glory, Lord, to give You praise in this time, God. Lord, we, in the middle of the week, Lord, we just pause for a moment, Lord, to just come to Your oasis of truth, Lord. Father, I pray that You would just quieten our spirits, Lord, from the the events of the week, the events of the day, Lord. You would just let those things fade away, God. Lord, help us to focus, Lord, upon Your Word. Lord, the most important thing, Father. I pray now, Lord, as we approach Your throne, that You would take mind of these special needs, Lord, these people that are reaching out to You, God. Lord, we pray for Brother Danny and his situation, Lord, whatever is ailing his his knee, Father, I pray that You would just give him a healing touch, God, to to deliver him from that, Lord. We we think in this time of Sister Karen, Lord, that You would just bless her and touch her, bring her through that sickness, Lord, and we pray for uh, Brother Andy Irish and his mother and his father, Lord, asking that You would just touch their bodies or whatever's causing the issue there, Lord Jesus. We pray for Sister Tracy, Lord, that You would just uh, bless her, whatever... The need is, Father, Lord, and all these other requests, Lord, I have my hands upon the list here, Lord. God, just praying that you be merciful to each and every need, God. Lord, you know what we have need of before we even open our mouths, God. Lord, for you created us, Lord, in your image, God. And I pray that you would just be merciful to these people, Lord. Father, as we as we continue to worship you, I pray that you would touch each heart, Lord, that you would just lay upon the the speaker's heart, Lord, what each person would have need of, God. Help us to draw upon the gift, Lord, to give what's in Your Word that's for us, Lord. Commit the service to Your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats. Let's put it in, or let's keep it in F. Let's sing that song, I Have a Source. I don't have any specials, so uh, we'll just... Kind of sing some songs here before Brother Barry comes. Hint, hint to those of you who can sing specials. (laughs) I claim the blood Jesus shed on Calvary And those precious bloodstains were made there just for me for all my sins my sickness and my pain when I need healing I just claim those precious blood stains. I have a source of strength when I am weak that takes me through when life is me I have a source of power from above 
Mercy and grace. 
his face I saw love, mercy and grace Open our eyes, Lord We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch him and say that we Just open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Just open our Just a little bit. Just open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch. If you would just stand with me and I'll ask the ushers to come forward at this time as we sing this. Well, I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. I send my word and healed your disease. I am the Lord, your healer. 
am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. I sent my word and healed your disease. I am the Lord, your Amen. Let's just continue to sing that as uh, we switch to the word of the service now. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. I sent my word and healed your disease. I am the your healer. You are the Lord that healeth me. You are the Lord my healer. You sent your word and healed my disease. You are the saved my soul. You are the Lord, my Savior. You sent your word and came on my sin. You are the Lord, my healer. Once again, the first verse now. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. And I send my word, heal my disease. I am the Lord, your As we go to prayer tonight, I want you to remember, especially Brother Roel Soriano. Uh, He's still clinging on to life in the Philippines, and his family are still asking that we would remember him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause in your presence tonight. It is just so good to be gathered together here, Lord, even if it's just a brief time. In the busyness of this life, the pressures and all the different things, Lord, that we're called upon to do, it's really nice to be able to push all of that back for an hour or so and just to sit at your feet tonight just to be with you father have your way we pray we love you and we invite you lord jesus to come and minister now to all the needs that have been mentioned tonight father we pray for brother soriano as well and 
We know that time or distance doesn't matter to you, Lord. You are our connecting link. You are the one, Lord, that's able to hear us and minister to him. Pray now that you would go in that room, Lord, and just touch his body, raise him up. Father, we've seen you do it before. We ask just once more that you would just hear our prayer, O oh God, and the prayers of all those in the country that are thinking of Brother Roel tonight. And, Lord, we just bind our hearts together for Sister Chi-Chi and the girls, Lord, and just ask, O oh God, that you would be merciful to him. Not that he or any of us deserve your healing virtue to flow to us. But, Lord, by your stripes we are healed, and that's the promise, Lord, that you made to us. You are the God that heals all of our diseases, and we believe that tonight. Lord, bless our gathering now, we pray in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'll have you read your Bible uh, with me, if you don't mind, in the, right at the very beginning here, and uh, let you take your seats uh, in just a moment. But let's do that tonight, because we want to jump in. Genesis, the 18th chapter, and let's read beginning tonight at um, the 11th verse. <clears throat> Appreciate all of you being here tonight, and I trust that at the end of the service, you'll say the same thing. Good to have the Holloways uh, here tonight. Good to have the Mabe family here tonight. May God bless you. Brother Mabe's father passed away suddenly, and they're down here for uh, funeral service. And so we're sorry for that, but we're glad to have you tonight. And may God richly bless you through the days that lay ahead. May the Lord bless you all. Genesis 18, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And therefore Sarah laughed within herself at the promise now that God had made saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being also old also? And she called Abraham, My Lord. I mean, that's what it says. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, seeing, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. We have uh, about five families tonight that are out because they are either infected with the virus or have come in contact directly with people who have. We're going to ask you that uh, if you have direct contact with folks and uh, uh, have any symptoms of the virus to not come to church, uh, because we don't want to make this place a place that's vulnerable for uh, anyone to get sick. Uh, I mean it. I just attended the funeral service of Brother Jim Babb yesterday in Johnson City, and uh, they're still feeling the effects of the virus that swept through over there. And uh, so I say we're, we're advertising our Labor Day meeting. It's Lord willing. And uh, if we make any change, we'll certainly let you know, but we're just trying to make sure that everybody stays safe. Uh, when we gather together, but uh, this is an important issue and one that we just unfortunately is not my my choice it 's not my desire, uh, but it is something that we want to be mindful of and again we don 't want to put anyone at risk and we don 't know who may be at risk and so we want to do the right thing in every occasion uh, the men 's meeting uh, leadership I think there's still brother Keith's telling me there's a couple of seats that are left open there, so uh, that 's still 
uh, Lord willing, as well. Let me drop in a couple of things here tonight before we begin, and I just couldn't help to do this. Number one, for the people that said it was not possible and it's not going to happen, this was the headline today, the first cruelest ship uh, is going to be sailing. This is the first cruelest all-electrical cargo ship that's moving out of the uh, Oslo Harbor here. I've seen it many times, and it's going to another uh, town. It's going to be controlled by uh, um, special computerized power plants that are stationed along the coast of Norway, and they're going to completely navigate that without anybody on board and bring it safely to dock. Uh, This is, uh, for those of you that didn't think that was going to happen, and I know if you'd love to have a trip to Norway, just sign up in the back next to the Ireland trip. And... uh, uh, this, uh, this is becoming a reality for uh, boats and for planes and for trucks. And this is happening. Now, uh, I couldn't help but do this because I just wanted to share this with you today. Uh, this is Pastor Happy Nalangu, who is from uh, South Africa near Durban. And uh, they're receiving their first books over there. And they've obviously got English books. And so uh, they're excited about that. On the uh, right-hand side is Brother Samuel Taylor. And uh, Brother Brother Caleb, do you know Brother Taylor? Yeah, okay. So Brother uh, Caleb has been helping us here, and uh, we're, we're actually beginning to do more in the country of Ghana, but the first books have arrived, and Brother Taylor... Uh, has been faithful in taking these books now to some of the uh, churches in his area. And uh, then, of course, this brother, this other brother here, uh, Brother Stephen Cabina, he is going to be taking books out to other ministers and churches that he knows in the area. And that's always been our goal. I think that's a wonderful thing to see the ministers take over and take that fivefold ministry, let them distribute those books in that uh, part of the world. And uh, that's exactly what we want to have happen. So we're thankful for that. I, I'm, I'm a, I've joined, I think I'm a member of about 13 different Bible societies in the world uh, because I, I'm able to, pur- if I'm a member of the Bible society in a country like Ghana, uh, I'm able to purchase Bibles at wholesale prices for the believers there. So we are in the process of uh, buying a whole bunch of Bibles for the believers in Ghana so uh, they can be distributed there in the King James Version. Uh, we just ordered a 1,000 Bibles in the Bemba language to be given out to the people in, Bemba, in uh, Zambia, and that's never been done before. He said, Brother Davy Mwanza said, they are just so excited to hear that uh, Bibles have gone out. We sent a 1,000 Bibles out in English, and now the Bemba Bibles, which were out of, out of stock, out of print, now they're back in print, and they're uh, being picked up today or tomorrow uh, in Lusaka, Zambia, and then they're going out in the brush out there where the Bemba-speaking people are, and uh, he said they are excited. But here's what I wanted to show you, okay? If you think that's exciting, that's great. But I wanted to show you this. This is the first picture. No other church has seen this, so you guys have the monopoly on this. This is a half million sermons arriving in, in uh, Malawi, and uh, they were excited uh, when they saw this today, and the, sh- and the truck rolled up. All the believers in the church there gathered around as they broke the seal, and they had to have inspectors there to break the seal, and uh, then they opened up the, uh, the truck, and uh, the truck is just about filled to the brim there with, with sermons. So this is 
uh, 47,000 sermons of, of each of the titles, 47,000 copies of 12 different, 14 different sermons that are in five booklets. I mean, it's just uh, an impressive load. And uh, Brother uh, Precious today, I was speaking to him, and uh, yesterday uh, he called me. He was all in a panic, and there was a, uh, you know, it was just real terror in his voice. And we had established a warehouse uh, where all of these books are being uh, stored. <clears throat> now, let me tell you what else is going to Malawi at the same time. We have another uh, 15 sermons that are being printed just like this coming right behind it. They're in production now. So there will be another 400,000 sermons that follow that. We have 20,000 English church-age books that are also going to the same place. We have 1,500 micro SD cards that are being done in the Chichewa language. They have the Chichewa sermons and the English sermons and the Bibles on the chip. And that's the one that we duplicate here, so we're going to send 1,500 over to them. We also today, I placed an order for 1,500, no, I'm sorry, of 3,000 each of the pillar fire and the cloud picture that's hanging in our library there. Those are ones that I framed that are hanging on the wall in the library. So I placed an order for 3,000 of each one of those because everyone overseas tells me we've never had a picture of the cloud and the pillar of fire. We've only seen it or seen it on the Internet. We've never had our own pictures. So we're sending all of those over to them so they can distribute them uh, over there and they will be able to have uh, their own copies of the books. They're 11 by 14. They're a nice size so they can put them in a church or put them in the uh, pastor's study or the lobby or whatever they want to do. Uh, they're also over there, going over there as well. We also have the Hoffman Picture of Christ. That's, uh, the, uh, it's, we don't have what hanging here, but it's the 16 by 20. Uh, we already got it printed, and we've been sending those over to the believers already in shipments, and uh, they're all ready to go as well uh, in Malawi. He said that when they unloaded the truck, and they were carrying, this is a young girl carrying Boxes of books. These weigh about 56 pounds apiece. She's carrying it on her head, and they're bringing it into the warehouse there. Uh, she's, he said they broke out into rejoicing and singing, all of them together. I said, Brother Precious, you recorded it, right? And he said, someone did. I saw them with their phones recording it and making a video. I said, you make sure you get a hold of that person and send me the video because let me tell you, you're not even you're not even born again till you heard uh, the people in Malawi. I'm sorry, you're not even born again. Uh, those folks there, the 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 music and the and the way they sing and worship is just wonderful. Second only to hear, of course. But they are. Let me tell you, it is just it is just a real blessing. So he said uh, he's going to send me that uh, video if he can get his hands on it there. But uh, this has been uh, the result of a lot of work. And the first time you send something into the country like this, it's a lot of work. You have to uh, laboriously take this through step by step into the country through customs, brokers, government inspectors. Everybody wants a cut. Everybody wants their piece. And you have to massage it through very uh, carefully through the uh, government hands to get into the hands of the believers. Once you do it once, the next time is easy because you know the route. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do, and all the paperwork is complete, so you can reprint, reprint, and just do more. So all of that is happening uh, as we speak. So this this uh, su- supply of materials is going in, into Malawi. Also, 
as well in Malawi because they have a warehouse there and they're so central. We're sending books for Mozambique, which are in Portuguese to them, and we're sending books that are in Shona. Uh, there to be 5,000 church-age books there. They're going to the pastors over there who are on the eastern side of uh, Zimbabwe, and Brother Aaron's helping us to coordinate that. So they're going to be able to get uh, books from there as well. So, I, I mean, it's just, it's just marvelous. It's just wonderful uh, to see that taking place. I have more stories, but we don't have more time. When you do stuff like this, there are lots of stories. Let's jump in and deal with this subject here, number 15. And uh, we want to take a little time this evening here. <clears throat> but before I do that, all of you young people that I promised the flashing red light, if it's coming, it's here, it's in the lobby, take your copy when you go. Not for the adults, uh, but this is for all of our young people who were I mentioned to on Sunday. Okay, So this is the book I want you to read, mark up. We'll discuss this and deal with questions as we, as we go along. This is, as we have mentioned, and we put these uh, two slides up uh, very regularly. In the, in the heart of God and in the intent of God was to have uh, a beautiful place where he could have a family and within that family have a marriage. That was God's initial expression of creation right in the first three chapters of uh, the book of Genesis. We also know that that became Satan's target, his target area, because he attacked it within the first three chapters uh, of the book of Genesis. And so this is a big thing to God. I believe it will come back to this again uh, in a perfect way, in a perfect setting, because it was the mind of God. But we've put this up just about every service because it's a great example of a hierarchy that is biblical. It's a great example of a chain of command. And we don't often use those terms in relation to family or biblical things, but that's really what it is when we have a chain of command and we have, uh, we have a structure or we have a setup whereby uh, somebody is the owner or the visionary or the CEO, if you like, of the, of the family. Uh, or let's say it this way. In the beginning, God wanted to have Adam and Eve, and one of, the, one of the phrases that comes up very often is, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because he wanted to have uh, believers to have children who had like values and like respect for God and his word and his prophets to go out into the world. And children, uh, children leave their mother and father, and uh, sons leave their mother and father, and they go out into the world and establish their homes. And in this way, God wanted the, uh, the, the people of God to expand over all the earth. That's what he envisioned, was a world full of people who respected and loved God. Right? And so be fruitful and multiply. It's not just, hey, have kids and be happy. This is a really important thing to God, to, pod, to have a world full of people who are made from a man who's made in the image of God. Right? So, so this was very important. And the marriage covenant was also extremely important as well, because according to the definition that we had through the ages, everyone who entered into a marriage covenant, listen, was going to sacrifice the me for us. But today it's turned around, and now the us is, is now subject to the me. Let me say it again. In the, in the old days, for years and years and years, the marriage covenant and, the, and the, the actual act of marriage was about two people laying down their singleness and their own personal and private ambitions to become one and to be what God intended them to be. 
to, to have children, to have a family, to build and grow, and to become, through their interaction personally, to become what God intended them to be. So the me was sacrificed to the us. That was a good thing. That was God's way. Right? But now, nowadays, in what's called, and I referred this to you because the culture has made a redefinition of what marriage really means, they have, they have now subordinated that definition to say that the us is not as important as the me. So I'm going to enter into this marriage or this covenant in order to get what I want. And you need to make me happy. And you need to stop trying to change me. And you need to stop, uh, you know, trying to be critical of me and, and so forth. Uh, me, I, I, my happiness is important. And when I lose that sense of happiness, you know what? I'm going to discard that relationship and go to something else. And so the government actually made this whole process easier in creating what's called a no-fault divorce. And you know what that is? That's a lie. Because in every divorce, someone's at fault. Just because the government says there's no fault, and I understand I'm speaking in general terms here, okay? So don't, 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 uh, don't get your, you know what I'm, just hang in there. <clears throat> the government attempts to redefine something that is bound by a covenant and it's a divine covenant. How many believe that marriage is a divine covenant? It's God. Hey, doesn't the Bible say, doesn't Brother Branham say in his marriage ceremonies, what God has joined together, let no man put us under? It doesn't matter whether that, that uh, last part, man takes the form of government or uh, the preacher or the, you know, the Catholic Church disannuls it or uh, disavows the, the marriage. It doesn't matter what God has joined together because it's a covenant made on, in, in the eyes of God. Right? There's only death do us part, unless there's certain conditions, of course, as we know in the Scripture. But uh, it, it is a divine covenant, and therefore man does not have a right to dissolve what God divinely put together. But the government comes along and says, hey, I'll give you a creative way, a real easy way for you to get out of this, and uh, we'll dissolve that, and then we'll go on to something else, so you'll be happy, because after all, that's the goal, isn't it? In the me marriage, that's the goal, personal happiness. It's not about us, it's about me. Everybody still with me? I'm just reviewing here. I'm just getting, I'm just getting warmed up here. And so they created this no-fault divorce, and there is really no such thing as a no-fault divorce because there's always a breakdown whenever you have a divorce situation, and the bread, there's always two sides to every slice of bread, no matter, uh, what you, uh, which way you slice it, right? If it's a slice, you got two sides. And so therefore, it is incumbent upon us, despite the fact that the, the, the world around us, the cosmos, is trying to redefine everything that's sacred and everything that's biblical and everything that God invented and intended for the world. And we obviously know the fruits of that are not so great. But it is incumbent upon us then, as the people of God, to dig our heels in and not be swayed by the culture, but rather embrace our responsibility to go forward in the light of Scripture and do what God requires. At the end of the day, uh, you, you, you have a choice. You can say, you can have the government say to you, well done, thou good and corrupt servant, or God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, one or the other. But I believe in order to do that, we need to, as men of God, we need to reject passivity, lead courageously, accept responsibility, and expect God's reward. And I believe that God will honor us when we make a stand. There's all kinds of scriptures. I've read to you them in the whole, uh, in the Old Testament and many in the New, uh, where David said, you know, if a man fears the Lord and his wife will grow like a vine the side of the house and his kids like olive plants around the table and all the other things that uh, are, are reflections of the mind of God about the responsibility that we as the men of God should take. Everybody with me? All right. So these are all, uh, these are all uh, common things. And again, there's a scripture that summarizes it all. Because man is made in the image of God. He was to be fruitful and multiply. And thirdly, he was to have dominion. 
A man was to take his position, he was to have dominion, and he was never, ever expected to have the dominion take, or the world take dominion over him. Unfortunately, that's the way it is in a lot of cases now, right? The world has taken over. And if the, wor- if the governments and the world could, in many ways, they would take over more and more of your life. But that's not what God's intent was. Socialism is not God's intent. Socialism is not the mind of God. Are we Okay. I don't believe that greed is the mind of God, but socialism certainly is not. Communism is not. And that's why Brother Branham identified it the way he did. And so therefore, we were to go out and cultivate the earth, scratch the earth, and make a living. The earth is cursed and, uh, from, the, from the book of Genesis there in chapter uh, 3 and 4. And uh, man was to go out and have dominion over it and to subdue it. We find also uh, this same idea in the book of Malachi. When the earth is redeemed, man's going to go back to having dominion over the earth, and the earth will not have dominion over him. Okay? <clears throat> So Brother Branham says, so just repent. And he said, tell him you're sorry by his grace. He said, you'll just let all your differences be done from today on, and you want to be gentle and quiet. You want to be humble and go where he leads you. You want to be gentle and quiet. You want to be humble and go where he leads you. When people say something, no matter how right it looks, you're going to forfeit your rights to talk about your neighbor. When people say something, they gossip, you know, they've got something... Uh, juicy about somebody. No matter how right it looks, you're going to forfeit your rights to talk about your neighbor. You're going to talk, but you're going to talk about Jesus. You're not going to be a witness for the scandal. You're going to be a witness for Christ. You ain't going out like a murderer to jump on the innocent, but you see that gallant display of heroism of real Christians, you want to be like them. I would tell you that one of the things that we did with our boys over the years, different seasons, was uh, to encourage them to read about great Christian leaders, great Christian heroes, great Christian soldiers, and great Christian men and women. Because we wanted them to set them up as models to, in their heart, rather than Captain America and Mrs. Universe and Mr. Ironhead or all the other uh, heroes that they have today. I don't, sorry, I don't know who they are. Or Broccoli, uh, Broccoli Spears or you know, all the other heroes that they have today. We wanted, we wanted to have real Christian gallant heroes in front of our children so that they would want to emulate that. I want to be like Samson, or I want to be like David, or I want to be like uh, Stonewall Jackson, or I want to be like uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln. I want to have a righteousness and a value and a strength and a virtue about me. So uh, that's what we encourage in our boys, right? So that's why most of them try to become tall because they want to be like Abraham Lincoln. So these are, this is just a running summary here now of the things that God requires of us in terms of conflict resolution, and we dealt with this a little bit last uh, Wednesday night, uh, these are the things that God, uh, God, God desires for us to practice so that we can follow peace with all, with all men. As much as lieth within you, as much as is possible, it's better to make peace than war. It's better to make harmony than confusion. It's better to do that. And it's better to do that in the home, but it's better to do that in, your, uh, in the church or uh, at your workplace. It's, it's better when people are communicating. People are, uh, you know, they're, they're humble enough to be able to make apologies for things that are wrong. Uh, even Matthew chapter 5, 23 on the bottom here, and this is the scripture where Jesus tells the story, If thy brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar. Stop the worship and go and find your brother and talk to him and see if he can work it out. Because the goal is reconciliation, right? The goal is reconciliation. That's why Paul encourages us, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And that verse in the Bible is there because you can do it. 
You can provoke your children to wrath. I've done it many times with mine, right? They still love me, though. I still get Father's Day cards, and that's all that matters. The second thing you want to do is calm down. An angry man stirreth up strife. He excites himself to war. And an angry man knows how to, ex- how to excite or stir up the whole family. I've seen children uh, in families. I have seen, uh, I'm looking at the girl's face right at the moment. I, and it's not, not you. I've seen, I've seen children who are capable of, of controlling the whole house with their anger. And they knew how to stir up strife. It doesn't have to be an adult, always. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a teenager. It can be a young child who knows how to manipulate everybody in the household by their anger. And Solomon tells us here, an angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man, he abounds in transgression. And those words there mean this on the bottom, which are really um, physical, literal things, screaming, throwing things, profanity, name-calling, hitting, any form of violence, saying things we should not say. I think those things should never be named among us. By God's grace, those things should never be named among us. So we, we find that uh, there are times when it's good to delay confrontation uh, because it, it, it is appropriate sometimes for us to take, uh, take a situation, turn the thermostat down by backing off and saying, hey, we need to talk about this, but not now. We'll talk about it later on. When the kids are gone or when everybody's left the Thanksgiving table, then maybe we can talk about it then. But a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. I believe that Solomon had a pretty good insight into this, and we should not gossip about it as well. We need to own our part. Every one of us need to own our part in any type of conflict because there are always two sides to every slice of bread. And sometimes you may be in the right, but even the way you defend your right or the way you push your right down somebody else's throat may not really be the most Christian thing you've ever done. And so you need to be able to be gracious about things. And sometimes you just need to step back and say, hey, I just trust that the Lord will show it to you like he showed it to me. Even when you, when you know that you're in the right. You don't, you're not obligated to win every argument. You're not obligated to die on every mountain. Right? Everything does not have to be Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Kabul. Proud people, though, get in the way because they want to win. They want to walk away feeling like, want another one, another notch in the handle of my gun. Proud people won't admit their fault in a situation and they won't reconcile because to them that's a form of weakness and they won't do that. I've got all this. We've, we talked about most of this last weekend, last Wednesday night. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. That means a letting go. There are some things that you can let go safely and you can put out the fire. Because where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tail bear, the strife ceases. There are a lot of great gossip stories that were kept alive only because they were great gossip stories that everybody liked to repeat. So you don't want to be a, considered a contentious man that stirs up strife. Reconciliation is the goal. The idea is to bring people back in harmony again after they've fallen out. So therefore... You want to say, like the last paragraph, I can argue and debate better than my husband or my wife. I have a stronger personality, and I don't want to use that to win the argument. I want to win him or her. That's really the goal. I want to win him or her. We select an appropriate time and place in order to be able to discuss things. But the idea is to discuss when you are most ready to listen, not when you're ready to talk, but when you're ready to listen, because the best communication involves mostly listening. And when your spouse knows that you're listening to them, 
there is already begun in that conversation the process of healing. Let me say it again. Healing begins when a person knows they're being heard and listened to. When there's just screaming and yelling and, uh, you know, in some homes, rage was the way things were done, right? And who's going to outrage the other one? And that's the way some people grew up. I never grew up that way. I never had, we never had that in our household at all. Uh, but I will tell you this, that when, whenever differences arise, and we all handle differences in different ways because we're all different people, the idea is, is that when you stop for a minute and you realize this person is actually willing to listen to my side of the story, and then you begin to figure out what's really going on, and you figure out, okay, maybe I didn't react quite right to that because now I know the other side of the story. Then, okay, maybe we can adjust the way that we're framing this argument. I will tell you that as a pastor, and Brother Branham said a pastor has a, he's kind of a special Bill fella, he said, to be able to sit between two families that are at war and to be able to you know, bring a sweetness among them. And that's not always easy. But I will tell you, it's possible if, if people will slow down, stop, and just begin to reason together, talk, talk things out. And w- when we're ready to listen, you can hear how the other person views it, how the other person felt about things that were said or done. I tell you, that's the mark of a Christian when they want to, uh, you know, attempt to do that. When you can't get people to the table, that's when you've got a real problem. Or, in my experience, if you're trying to reconcile a husband and wife, and the husband has already left, or sorry, the wife has already left the house. She's already gone. That's a much harder situation to reconcile than if the husband leaves the house. And what you have to do is try to work those two back to the place where they'll be willing to listen to one another. It, it is really, really vital for them to listen. So you're saying, oh, wow, Brother Barry, you, you must know people who are uh, really, uh, really troubled. And Yeah, they're called people. So if this doesn't apply to you, you can just polish your halo until we're done here, because I'll be done just a second on this part here. So we listen more than we talk, and this is really important here. The heart of him that understandeth seeketh knowledge. And the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. You can't shut up the evil man because he, I mean, he just, he just wants to make sure that everybody knows I'm right. And that person's evil. That person's wrong. But the righteous studieth to answer. Now, you can imagine if you have a, you know, a real difficult argument between a couple. And they're, I mean, they're at one another's throat. I was talking to a, a couple the other night, and uh, we had to do it by Zoom because we're spread out in different places, and it's a little safer to do it uh, by Zoom. But I was talking to them, and we spent the whole conversation, an hour and a half, on one particular incident that that existed between them and they couldn't figure it out and when i when i uh saw them first on the zoom he was looking that way and she was looking that way they were sitting side by side but they were looking this way they weren't looking at each other and i asked foolishly how are we doing (laughs) i i mean they didn't have to say a word and i didn't have to say a word you could look at them and you know they're both like this 
And I, you know, I, I stayed with them, and we worked on it the whole time in our conversation. And we, we just were working to try to study what is it that really bothers you, and what is it that really troubles you, and how can we fix this? What would, what would satisfy this side? What would satisfy this side here? And let's work together and work together. And in the end of it, we got, uh, you know, we got agreement to a possible solution there. And sometimes it takes that long because these are things that build up over time. So it takes study. You don't get a degree in one term, right? You don't, you don't get, uh, you know, Brother Branham's experience. You don't have that kind of experience in your first year of preaching. You're always learning. You're always growing. You're always, uh, you know, discovering new things here. And so when it comes to issues in the family, and like I said before, you might have a child who's a rebel. You might have a child who's willfully defiant. But you might have a child that needs a different learning style than what you're trying to force down his throat. Because you can make your children really frustrated and really angry by trying to compare them to everybody else in the family. And say, why can't you be like your brothers? And why can't you be like your sisters? And, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're forced into a frustrating cycle of comparing them to everybody else. All the other kids in the church are doing this and that. And uh, you, you can force things on a child that only sets him up for failure. And, and that's where study to know how to react. Study to know how to adjust. Study to know how, well, you know what, that's the way I've always done it, but that way might not work in this situation. So we might have to ex- explore, and we might need to investigate new ways. Is that all right? It's all right for you as parents to be creative. It's all right for you as parents to pray and ask God, Lord, guide me to help me to, to, uh, to do the best thing for my children. I, you know, I constantly am studying here to find out what's best for this congregation. I do. You know, like we, we, we're, we're studying a message here, and, and the, I, I just was asking the Lord and our young people and so forth, and we're restructuring Sunday school, and we're working on that, and, uh, you know, getting new teachers, new, new fresh meat into the cycle here, and uh, it's exciting to, to see all of that happening here. But I'm doing it because I'm studying a congregation that needs to have a regular type of gathering together, and whether it's, you know, a, studying a sermon or, uh, you know, doing Bible memorization or singing for the little kids or whatever else uh, all of us in our in our walk with God all of us have needs and all of us need a little help isn't that right all of us need a little encouragement and, and so it's a it's a good thing for us to study and that's what pastors do brother Branham said the pastors study he said you watch the church lean over one side page 11 of how can I overcome you'll find it and he says you see the church leaning this way a little bit fanatical that way and then he said after a while it'll start to lean this way and he said when the church leans that way I'll lean out this way, he said, and pull the church into the center with me. And then after a while, they'll lean over this way, and he says, I'll, I'll lean the other way, and we'll pull the church again. Because you're always studying the church to try to find out uh, what's the best answer, what's the best way to proceed. Am I making any sense tonight? And so this is the idea for, uh, for me as a father as well and my wife. You know, we just didn't do, uh, you know, repeat, 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 repeat for our, we homeschooled for 175 years, I think. And, uh, we didn't just do repeat, you know, what Andrew learned, Peter would learn, what Peter learned, Steve would learn, what Steve would learn, Lucas would learn. And we didn't do that. We, we, we had to study and watch each boy to see how they learned, to see what they, uh, what they really needed to challenge them in the school environment. We did that because that's what parents do. I could show you pictures too. 
Someday I'm going to show you pictures of our homeschool. <clears throat> and then I'll tell you the stories about when I homeschooled our boys. They are funny. I almost had a brother have a heart attack because he laughed so hard, but I told that story up in Canada. All right. <clears throat> Here's a couple of keys for husbands. Here's a couple of keys for husbands that I, that I want to share with you, just real briefly here, okay, because we want to get on to a couple of other key scriptures here. Guys talk together in a certain way. In our house, we have a WhatsApp that's for our family. Everyone's in, included, right? All the adults are included in our WhatsApp, like most people. We also have one that's just for the guys because that's where we can hurl insults at one another. We can say things that uh, we don't need to worry about repercussion. Uh, not bad things. You understand what I'm saying. All right. Can you, can you crank that back just for... And uh, I'm supposed to say that before I say things like that, right? Got it. But we, we, if you had a bunch of guys together and we were out there raking mulch, we would talk differently than if there was a bunch of sisters out there, Right? Come on, guys. That's true. We, in our family, guys talk a little bit different. Their manners even can be quite different if it's just guys. The moment you speak to your wife as one of the guys, you're going to be in trouble because she does not speak the same way. And you had to be careful uh, that you speak with a sensitivity to your wife because uh, she basically speaks a different language. And unless you learn that language, you'll never be able to communicate on a real, uh, real true level with her, the right level with her. So you have to, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you can be on the phone with somebody, right, talking to a brother. Say, well, how about you and your wife? Would you like to do that? And he, he might respond to you in a certain way. And he'll say, honey. Because he doesn't repeat the way that the guys are talking about it. He'll, he'll say it a little bit differently. You're all, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Be her support, not her father. Interestingly, <clears throat> many times a woman can feel like she's being controlled. And interestingly, it can feel to the guys like he's being controlled. And it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. But it is a, uh, an area where there can be a conflict and... Each one of you can feel inferior when we're, we feel like we're being looked down upon like a parent would look at the child. And sometimes a parent will look at a child and say, you ought to know better. Uh, why did you do that? I told you about that. You ought, why did you do that? And uh, don't do that again. And, and we'll talk to our children. You may not use those words, but sometimes you can be condescending. You can be looking down at your child a little bit like, I know better because I'm the parent in this thing. I know better, and you're just a child, and you're, you're ignorant, and you're not grown up, but I know the answer to this. When you begin to talk to your spouse that way, you're going to run into problems. So I find it's better to be her support and not her father. I remember one time my wife was, I tell this story when we, when we talk about marriage, I remember one time my wife, we were leaving uh, Monday morning, to go to a vacation. We were going to travel on vacation Monday morning. Sunday night, uh, we had come home from church, and uh, uh, we told the boys, I said, okay, four boys, four suitcases. All right, guys, go get your stuff, all the things you're going to need. Let's pack it up, and let's, let's get it together. So the boys are hauling clothes out everywhere, and, you know, seven pairs of sneakers, 
uh, just all jeans with holes in it, no church clothes, nothing else. Because they're, they're thinking a certain way, right? They're just thinking a certain way. Taking dirty clothes out of the laundry, it doesn't matter. As long as we get what we want into the suitcase, that's what matters. And so my wife, she, she was looking at all of these. She looked at the suitcases and she said, oh, she said, in, basically in tears. And she said, we'll never get this done. I got to take all this stuff out of their suitcases. Ours are not even packed yet. I got to take all this stuff out and uh, we got to redo the whole thing. We got to, you know, launder everything. We got it all done and it's already, uh, nine o'clock on Sunday night. We got supposed to leave in the morning. We'll never, we'll never get gone. My response is like the Marines, right? My response is like a Marine sergeant. All right, guys, let's go. Let's get all four of you in here right now. Line up right here. Now, this is what I want you to do. And I started to bark at the boys like that and tell them, all right, don't take this back. Let's do this. This is what I asked you to do, and let's get it right. And I just took over like a Marine sergeant. And I watched my wife watching me, and I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't the best answer to the problem at all. Because that's, somewhat, that's really not she, what she wanted at all. She really wanted me to come alongside of her and say, Honey, I, this, this is frustrating. I know this is pretty frustrating for you. I can relate to what you're going through here. This is rough. How can I help? Would you like a cup of tea? Because in our house, a cup of tea solves everything. Hot. Hot. And so uh, that would be the thing to do, to move into her world just for a minute and ask her how she would like it to have it done. Now, really, the best thing for me to do would have been take the boys, occupy them, time up downstairs or something and occupy them and then let her work through this herself because she knows how to do it much better than I do. But sometimes in my way of making a solution, my way of doing things, uh, you act like a, a boss and a controller and it goes right around the very thing that she, she would do if, if, if she was in control of this situation here. So sometimes it takes a listening ear to do that. It made a difference to her because listening is the key to the heart. The vast majority of good uh, communication is all about listening, and few people really truly listen. A lot of people will complain because they feel like uh, they're not being listened to at all. And to show her that, uh, you know, you're, in, you're enjoying hearing her talk and hearing what's going on and listening to what's happening, that's, that's really an important thing. Every woman probably would agree with that. And then I think one of, the, one of the things that I think is really good is to make your wife feel appreciated, make her feel special, and thank her for the things that are done that sometimes are uh, just seemingly really obvious things and like, you know, doing laundry. When you have four boys, now I never get spots or stains on my clothes, but my boys did. My wife had the world's largest collection of spot removers. Don't laugh. In America, she had the world's largest I was thinking of getting the Guinness World Book of Records in there to see and let them see how many spot removers and stain removers she had uh, because the boys could get spots and from just from amazing circumstances and they could and they were very difficult to get off. She was very good at that. But, you know, something as mundane as that, I always go up to her and I say when, you know, we're taking the folded, washed clothes, ironed back upstairs, I always tell her, thanks so much for doing that. I'm glad I don't have to do that. And I'm really thankful that you've done it so faithfully over all the years. I always let her know uh, things like that because uh, I, think, uh, I think that's an important thing. And I think, you know what? Let me say this, guys. <clears throat> if you don't want to tell her how much she's appreciated, who would you like to tell her she is? Isn't it better that I tell her than some other guy? 
Isn't it better that I tell her how nice she's done with our garden and our flowers outside rather than the neighbor guy come over and tell her how nice she's done with her flowers and our garden? Hello? If she's dressed nicely and, you know, looks really, really wonderful and coming in the church, I think it's a good thing for me to tell her that she looks really nice and really pretty. And to go out of our way to notice those things and say, my, it's been a good here day today and, and uh, everything looks really, t- my, you're so coordinated, so color coordinated. And, uh, you know, we match, our, you know, our clothes match and it's really great. And we look just like the blank. You can fill in the blank. And, and uh, that, that's just a wonderful thing. And, and uh, you know, wow, honey, uh, uh, listen, if it wasn't for you, it's better for me to tell her that than somebody else to tell her that. Because a woman will gravitate to that kind of language very quickly, very quickly. Absence, you know, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. I like to say it this way. Absence will make the heart grow fonder for someone else. But let's go on. I think that despite our differences, I think it's a good thing for us to grow together uh, despite the differences that we have because we don't want to have disagreements turned into disrespect. We don't want to have disagreement turned into disrespect. Now, fathers have a unique role in the home. We talk a lot about fathers. We talk a lot about a lot to fathers uh, because they have, in the Hebrew language, when you go back and unearth uh, the real picture of these words, uh, God wanted us to realize that fathers really supply lots of different uh, roles. They fulfill lots of different roles in the life of their family, to be a master, a chief, a leader, a guide, and a tutor, all of those things that a, uh, a man should be. And the scripture is very plain. So let's just, let's just go a little further here now and just talk a little bit about this scripture verse that we've, we've taken out here. Um, there is a difference. Sorry, let's, let's, just, let's just go back here. How will, you know, uh, how will you know and how will the world know that you love Jesus? How do you know that you're a Christian? When we love one another. That's how the world sees. God sees your faith. The world sees your action. And love one another now. Be kind to one another. Talk with one another. Be patient with one another. This is a 20th century prophet speaking to a 20th century bride. How many 20th century bride we got here? So this is for you, right? This is not Dr. Dobson here. This is Brother Branham in 1965, in the last year of his ministry, uh, giving us instructions like this to see, uh, to tell us that, uh, you know, God sees your faith, God sees your heart, but the world sees your action. So God sees how you treat your children. God sees how you treat your wife uh, and, your, and your family, your spouse. And be kind to one another and talk with one another and be patient to one another. And that, uh, among your family, I believe that's one of the most important first things that uh, need to be done. Now, in the, in the process here of looking at um, this, this scripture, and I, there's, a, there's just so many lessons in this scripture here. Let's just, let's just for a few minutes, and all I've got is a few minutes. But let's say this, that... <clears throat> There's a difference in the scripture uh, when it comes to uh, some of these New Testament words here, especially when you have lightning, there's a difference here, that we have a knowledge of what is the essence of something and what is the function of something. What is the essence and what is the function of something? We say that the essence of something means that uh, essentially we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Whether the richest among us or the poorest among us, essentially, we are all sinners, right? We needed to experience salvation. But functionally, we can say 
I play a different role in the body of Christ than you do. Then Brother David down here plays a different role than I do. Now you can imagine if everybody in the church wanted to have the same role, right? We'd have to make this the pulpit and this the seating area for the sisters because everyone would want to be a preacher, right? But you know what? There are roles given out. There are functions given out within the body of Christ. And that's the way that God gets his business done among, among the bride. That's the way he communicates with his bride is through the ministry. And then you have deacons, you have trustees, and you have singers. And, uh, you know, you have everybody who takes part in the service. But we're all not doing the same thing. We're doing different things. But it all contributes to the whole, doesn't it? And at the end of the day, remember now, essentially, you needed salvation just as much as I did. Where no, no one's ahead of one another, no one's above one another, or no one's getting in quicker than someone else because they're holier than thou. That's not the way it works. There's no big eyes and little U's, right? So in essence, we are all basically the same when it comes to uh, the need of salvation. But when it comes to function and form, then we, we, we play different roles. And God is preparing us to move up into another role. And that's exactly what Paul and Peter are giving us here in instructions in relation to the family. That a wife has a role, a father has a role, children have a role, honor your parents in all things. And obviously, everybody's not doing the same thing. That's not a question of worth. It doesn't mean that a wife is worth less than a husband. In the eyes of God, they're both valuable. But they're not the same. Would you agree? They should complement one another. Just like we compliment one another. When we have uh, Mitchell comes out and leads the singing here, and uh, you know the musicians come and everybody plays their part, and we have, uh, we have the, the right atmosphere created here. That's the right thing. That pleases God for us to do that. And by the way, that is the way Brother Branham said the angel told him to conduct a service. He said lots of people do it different ways, but the angel came and told me that's exactly how you should do it. So that's why we do it the way that we do it here. It's not just because that's tradition, because traditions come and traditions go. And sometimes you feel like doing the tradition and the tradition changes and you don't do it anymore but when an angel tells a prophet that's really pleasing to me to do it that way without a lot of preliminaries and gifts and all kinds of razzmatazz and drama here just have a couple of songs prepare the atmosphere bring the prayer requests and pray and then have the minister come out fresh from the uh, presence of god and have him minister that's pleasing to god well if that's pleasing to god it's good to me but you know what? We can't have uh, one preacher coming out here, one preacher coming out here, one out of there, one out of there, one out of there, one out of there, and everybody, who makes it to the pulpit first? And Brother Mike's pretty fast, you know. I mean, he'd get up here, and oh, that'd be all right. Brother Mike got up here and, and, and did it all right. Brother Aaron got up here, or Matt, or anybody else, you know, got up here. But obviously that would be out of order, right? Just like when Brother Branham had to deal with the gifts, he had to put them in order. It's all necessary. It's all needed, but we play different roles. How, would you agree? Well, you don't want your five-year-old running your house. Neither do you want your wife running the house. Mm. So this is what this is about. And marriage is one of the ways that God establishes his will to be done. Now, remember we talked about his will in the very beginning. Man was made in the image of God, and he was to be fruitful and multiply. Obviously, we need a husband and wife in order to accomplish that. But one of the ways, one of the things that God set up in the very beginning was a man who was to be the head of the house. And that's where the word patriarch was invented. Because Abraham was a patriarch, we know. He was the father of that family unit there. And so therefore, 
the, the need that a man has as a patriarch is one for respect. He wants to, uh, a man wants to be respected. A man wants to be told that he's, uh, you know, uh, wise and skillful at doing certain things. Uh, it's, it's really an interesting thing that God never tells a woman to love her husband. There's no command in Scripture. There are, there are things about women loving their husbands, but there's no command that's given for a woman to love her husband because that's really not needed. But it is commanded for a man to love his wife. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, right? And there's a reason for that. But the greatest need that a man has is one that is for respect and one that is for uh, for. Uh, uh, a reverence, if you like, in the domain that God's put him in. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, well, if you don't mind, let's, let's just take a look here. I don't have two on the board. I have three, but let's go to two just for a moment here. Now, I realize that I'm, I'm running out of time, and I know that, and I took a little longer in the preliminary here, but I wanted to lay a little base here, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll just jump right in here. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Hold on now. For even hereunto were ye called, because he suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow after his steps. If we follow after his steps, then we are going to suffer. Who's he talking about? Go back to verse 19 of the same chapter there. For this is thankworthy if a man, not a woman, but a man for conscience toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults? Ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. If anybody in the world had a right to come back at his accusers, to demand justice and and proper treatment. It would have been Jesus to do that. But he did not. He took his place there uh, in the the role of a suffering Savior. Now, we're not called to be saviors, obviously. But even hereunto were ye called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was our guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Your response always counts. Your response always matters. And that's why we went through that, uh, reviewed the, 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 the portions again about uh, creating harmony and, and resolving differences in, in the household and in the main relationship between husband and wife. Because it's easy to take your stand based on the fact, well, I'm a man and I'm right and I'm the head of the house and automatically, woman, you have to listen to what I have to say. Well, that's not what the scripture says. As a matter of fact, we just read that it says the opposite. And not that a man rolls over and lets his wife walk all over him and say whatever she wants to. That's not it. And you will find that as we go down through this chapter because Peter is really focusing in on this. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we do, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. Likewise. Likewise connects us to something, right? Whenever we have the word likewise, or in the same way, or connected to that, let me say, likewise 
if the husbands are to have a certain attitude, a Christ-like attitude, then likewise, guess who's next? Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Well, now that's an interesting scripture because does that mean that if the wife, if the wife is, her husband says something to her that she doesn't use any words? Well, in, in this sense, that's true. Let's say it this way, that by her constant Christian conduct, it's going to affect her husband. Remember, Brother Bam tells a story about that man who went home and uh, he was out drinking with his buddies and they all said to him, hey, there ain't no real Christians left in the world. And he said, hey, my wife is. Don't say that my wife is. They said, yeah, sure. They said, no, she absolutely is. They said, no, there ain't, ain't, no, ain't no real uh, Christian woman left. He said, come on home with me. I'll prove it. And you remember, he walks into the house and he's, you know, he's pretending to be drunk and ornery and he's got his buddies with him and they are drunk and ornery. And they sit at the table and he says, hey, woman, fix me up some bacon and eggs here. And, and uh, she, she, it's late at night and she gets up and she starts doing that and cooking the food there. And then when he gets it, the, she lays it down on, on the table there. He throws the dishes against the wall there and he says, ah, I'm not going to eat this slop and gets up and walks out. And as he goes out, she's over there collecting the food that's on the floor and picking it up and washing the dishes and she's singing a Christian song, you know, and the guys are outside and they're saying, wow, she never said anything. She never reviled. She never snapped at you at all, you know. And just her conduct had an effect on those men that were... Brother Bram tells that story. But let me add a little, another little part to this and then we'll have to stop here because now we go into 1 Peter chapter 3 and, and uh, this, this is where it gets interesting. That when the phrase is used here that they may be Without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Without the word, in the Greek, refers to, are you ready? Nagging. That a husband can be won when a wife does not continually nag her husband, but rather by her respect and by her right response, She's going to have a bigger effect on her husband than saying, why don't you go to church? Do you realize about your example you were giving to our boys and our girls? Why don't you go to church? Why don't you straighten up? Why don't you give up those habits? Why don't you cut the cable there on that TV? And why don't you get off the Internet and do, quit playing games there? And a lot of times, isn't it true that when a wife nags her husband and he doesn't do what she wants to have him do, the response automatically very often is to nag more and nag louder. And it doesn't work. How many of you have nagged your husband for a long time? Don't show your hand. And <laughs> nagged your husband for a long time and he not do what it is that you wanted him to do. Common sense would tell us it's time for us to change the strategy. Because insanity is defined by doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Husbands don't laugh. This is not the place to laugh here. And this is actually what the phrase means here, that wives are to take a position in obedience to the word. Because you know what? A wife is subject to her husband as the word defines. 
So, for instance, if I told my wife, I said, honey, this year we're going to cheat in our taxes because we really can't afford to pay all the taxes, I would be telling her something that's contrary to the word and outside the boundary of what she needs to obey me about. She would not have to do that. If I told her, I said, hey, honey, why don't you come? We rob a bank today. Uh, she didn't have to do that. And you have a wrong idea of subjection. If you think you can tell your wife to do anything, she does it as to the Lord. There is, a restri- there, is a di- there is a dimension. There's a measurement there. So a wife doesn't have to do something that, uh, you know, is personally offensive to her and all the rest of it are contrary to the law, contrary to the word of God. That's inconsistent. And God does not have a woman to be subjection to, in subjection to a man who would do that. And so, therefore, she is subject to her own husband, but there's a, a position that she takes uh, in, in this, and he compares her, this woman here, to Sarah. He compares her to Sarah. And I'm going to give you a little bit of homework and say that as we found here, verse 5, for after this manner in the old time, after this manner, the the manner I'm describing here, he says, this is the way the the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. They trusted in God being in subjection to their own husbands. Because I I want to make sure that I'm in a position that I'm in relation to God enough that even if I know my husband can't do it, I'm going to trust God to help this get done in our household. They did it trusting in God. Don't, don't, don't uh, minimize the little portions of it that are here in commas or in brackets here. In this manner, the, the, in old time, the holy women who trusted in God, they adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. So here's Abraham and Sarah, and they're not able to have a child. But you know what? Sarah trusted in God to do what Abraham couldn't do and what she couldn't do, right? So she submits herself to the leadership of her husband. She submits herself to God. She submits herself, even though she knows she can't have a child. But what's she doing? All the time in her heart, she's trusting in God. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are. All right, you got to... Can I have three minutes? Okay, go back to Genesis chapter... Chapter 18, I believe that it is. Genesis, the 18th chapter here. Because I don't want to leave you without this before our lights go. Genesis chapter 18. Sorry, let me, let me find it here. This would be worth you taking a look at, all right? Genesis. Chapter 18, verse 12. When the angel visits Abraham and Sarah, she says, in her heart, she's chuckling and laughing. Because God is saying to Abraham out there outside the tent, and as you know, uh, it's not hard to not hear what's going on on the other side of the tent wall. And so she's hearing what is being said. And chapter 18 and verse 12 says... Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Let me tell you what that word means. That word Lord, in the Hebrew, it means a superintendent of household affairs, or somebody who is the master, husband, somebody who is a captain. That's the main meaning of the word there. Someone who is a captain, or he's in the general position of superiority in that household or in that place. Just like I would be, in a sense, I would be, don't get this wrong. Okay, everybody, don't get it wrong. I'm almost done. Don't get it wrong. I would be like the Lord of this church. 
in a position of superiority. Okay? Not, this is not, listen, it has, some of you are looking at me saying, I knew this is where this was going. I knew Brother Barry was going to pull this off. I know he's going for 12% tithes. I know what he's going to do here. Let me just say this. I don't need the board. I don't need the board. But I have the board. Let me say this. It has nothing to do with worth. It doesn't mean that you're less saved than me. It doesn't mean that you're less a member of the bride of me. But God has put me in a position by His calling, not mine. Okay? So that makes me kind of like a captain. That's why I have the hat in there in my office with the HBT logo on it and the captain because that's a position that God's put me in and you've also put me in to that position as well. Look at the next verse now. The next verse. Read it with me. And the Lord said unto Abraham, same English word, here it is the meaning of that Hebrew word. It is Jehovah, the self-existing one, the proper name of the one true God. Sarah called her husband Lord. Say it with me. Sarah called her husband Lord. Say it with me again. Sarah called her husband Lord. Now turn to your husband and say, Honey, I love you. No, I'm only kidding. It does not mean that he has now the God position in this relationship. She's not going to bow down to him and worship him like she would worship Jehovah, the one true God. But she acknowledges that he's the captain. He's the one that God put in the hierarchy of things. He's the one that God put in the position as the patriarch. Are you following me? So if we go back then to 1 Peter here. Sorry, let's go to the next screen here. In 1 Peter, it says that Sarah... After this manner, in the old time, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection with their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Lord, uh, Abraham, calling him Lord. Abraham, you're the father. You're the one that, uh, you know, is put in a position. You're the patriarch of the family. You're the one uh, that God called. You're the reason we're out here, because we're following you in leadership here. We're out on the plains of memory. We sold our house and left the place because we're following you. And we acknowledge that. We're not complaining about that. We, we, we agree with that. But Abraham... You know, she's looking at this and, and, you know, she's saying, well, hey, listen, there ain't no way that, that I can have a child. And there's no Abraham's old and he's past age right here. But you know what? In her heart, and we find this in other places, we find this in her heart that she trusted God. And she believed that, you know what? Even if Abraham can't do it, and even if I can't do it, God himself can do it because he's the self-existing one. He's the miracle working God. He is Jehovah and there's none like him. But I acknowledge, in other words, she's not disrespecting Abraham. She's calling him Lord because, you know what, you're the captain of the household. And that's not a question of, well, you're better than I am. It has nothing to do with worth. It has to do with position. And when a woman, listen, when a woman acknowledges the God-given position of her husband, it'll be easier for children to acknowledge the God-given position of their mother and their father. When you practice acknowledging the position that God has placed us in, that will ripple down through the whole family. And you say, you might say, well, Brother Barry, that's Old Testament, and I'm not a daughter of Abraham. Let me tell you, if you take that attitude, you'll never get the miracle that Sarah got. If you have the same respect as Sarah did, you may receive the same miracle that Sarah got. Let's stand to our feet. If you want to have the right miracles take place in your household, 
then we need to make sure we respect each other in the right way as the Word defines. Is that, am I making sense? As the Word defines. So she's not bowing down to Abraham and paying obeisance to him. She's not treating him uh, like God. She's not treating him, paying him tithes. Uh, she's not doing that. She is rather, she is rather giving Abraham the respect that he's due because he's the patriarch of this family. Even if he's not a believer, that's where it gets fun. Even if he's not a believer, when she can respect a man in that in that position. Not to do things that are contrary to the word. If she's married to an unbeliever and he wants her to cut her hair. That's not what we're talking about at all. But when a woman will respect her husband in the line, in accordance with the word of God. Let me tell you, God can deal with her in a special way. God can deal with her in a special way. God can bless her. Despite his unbelief, God can bless her because she's showing the right respect where she should. Because she has a head also, which is God. It's it's a great subject. It really is. And we want to deal with this this passage here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 there. Let's sing that little chorus together. What are you playing there, man? Let me be pleasing to you. Let everything that I do be pleasing to you. Everything I pursue be pleasing, O Lord, unto you. Sing it out one more time. Everything I pursue be pleasing to you. I'm praying that everything I pursue be pleasing. Shalom and all is well, and there is a place of perfect rest behind the inner veil. So rest, little bride. 
sing it again now. Just worship Him tonight, saints. Yes, all is well. All is well. We have heard the message. Shalom and all is well. Father, as we end our service tonight, Lord, I thank you for the attentiveness of the people. And Lord, I just ask and pray now that you would just help us, oh God, to just open our hearts, oh God, to the, to the real truth, the real kernel of the, the word of the Lord, and what you really mean, what you're really wanting us to know, Lord. And Father, when you touch our hearts and you help us to understand, Lord, may our lives conform to that. May we be transformed, Lord, to actually live out what you're saying. I believe, Lord, that would be the greatest compliment to you. Because, Lord, the world may see our actions, Lord, but we want you to see our hearts as somebody who truly desires to walk in obedience to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be real, true husbands, real men of God who reject the passive, Lord, and take the responsibility that's been handed to us in a very corrupt world. Be our guide, Lord, I pray. Be the one who leads us. Father, we think, Lord, as we pray tonight, many needs among us, Lord. There are many sick. I think of Brother Soriano and the people in our own church, Lord, who are suffering in different ways. Lord, I commend them to you. And all those who are listening tonight, Father, may your blessing rest upon them. And Lord, in our, in our country, in our, in our world, even in our assembly, Lord, there are people who mourn. And I think of Brother Mabe here tonight, Lord, and I ask that you would just comfort him in the days that lay ahead, the passing of his father. We think of Sister Linda Babb, and Lord, just pray that you would hold her up. Hold her up, I pray, in your presence. Lord, may she feel the nearness. Think of Sister Sandy Yearwood, and just so many different ones, Lord, that are reaching out to you. And Father, sometimes, Lord, it's not clear what the next step should be for people in situations like that. But Lord, we know that you are a God who cares about the station in life we're in. So, Father, be commend them to you and pray that you would draw close to them you are the God that heals all of our diseases you're the God who promised to lead us be with us even in us until the very end and so Lord we're trusting in that in the name of Jesus Christ we ask these things amen and amen and amen Jesus draw me close we're going to sing as we Leave tonight as, as you go. May God bless you and appreciate you all being here tonight and those that are online listening. And may the Lord bless the balance of your week. And Lord willing, we'll see you on the weekend. Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you and let this world 
fade away. Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you, for I desire to worship and obey. Jesus, draw me close. 